We began the beginning of the year, as you do, you know, you begin, begin at the beginning. Um, it's going to be one of those mornings. But we started, we started by grounding ourselves in the story of God, allowing the gospel of John to center us on who Jesus is. And then we did this series called Loving Community, where we're allowing that love that God has for us, the pursuit that God has for you and I, to weave us together to be the people of God, to be the family of God, and to explore what does it mean for us to be loving community in that kind of way. And now from that platform, we're, we're launching out into bold exploration that we believe as a community, we've been called to be explorers of this life. That God has not called us to remove ourselves from the world, to hide from the world, but out of the place of loving community with him and with one another, we're able to step out and to boldly explore. So what we're doing in the beginning of this series is really examining what are some of the attributes that we need in order to pursue bold exploration. And today, I want to piggyback on some of the things that Cole talked about last week um, with faith. And we're going to specifically be talking about faithfulness. Um, We're going to go a lot of difficult places this morning. Um, Some of it might be a little bit uncomfortable, um, but that's exactly what exploration is about. Amen? It's not about us being comfortable. It's not about us feeling good, it's about us pursuing truth. And sometimes that can be a little bit awkward and it can be a little bit difficult, but I believe that there's gold on the other side. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna launch into this. Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you're here, that you're with us, that you are for us, that you are not against us. Lord, we thank you for all of these symbols that you've given us over thousands of years of people learning to to hear your voice um, that draw us into your presence. Lord, just the, the Catholic in me is so excited to see a community sitting, staring at candles and listening to chant. And that's so good because that you're there and then we do Bethel songs and you're there. I love that, Lord. Thank you for that. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you continue to open us up to new ways of, of encountering you, even if those new ways are old ways. Uh, it's so good, Lord. You speak to us in so many ways. And so, Father, as we step into the unknown this morning, I pray that you will really teach us what it means uh, to trust you, to, gu- to, to, to guide us into places that maybe we've never been before, into things that we've never really thought about. Uh, because we trust, Lord, that that's the process of refinement as you're teaching us, as you're shaping us, as you're forming us to become more Christ-like. And Lord, may all things that we perceive today be ultimately to your glory. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Three weeks ago, I saw the face of God in the funeral of a 16-day-year-old baby. Um, Some friends of ours uh, unfortunately had uh, a child 20 weeks early, which if you know anything is, is an insanely um, early time for a baby to come. And the baby lasted, or he, he, he lived for, for 16 days uh, and then he passed. Um, and there was a small memorial service for him uh, with a lot of family and friends coming around. Um, and the parents led us through these moments of reflecting and celebrating the life of their son um, and then we processed uh, into, into the, um, the cemetery. And it is one of the most, the ugliest and one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen to watch parents lower their child into the ground. 
And the thing that was so profound to me was watching them this whole time, the whole thing that they set up for us as a community was continually pointing back to God and worshiping him and praying that we would see resurrection right up until the very last moment. And it was, it was one of those, those moments, I don't know if you've ever had these, but where you perceive the faith of another person, you say, I can't comprehend that. I can't think myself into that kind of scenario. There's these moments we see them in the lives of the people around us, and sometimes we, we too experience those, where the way that we've been doing things, the way that we assume things are supposed to work, falls short. All of the narratives that we've been given of what life is supposed to look like halt. And we come into this moment of, what do I believe? What do I think is true? How am I supposed to be present in this very moment? And I've never been so ministered to in such a specific way as I was that day by the people that simultaneously are mourning the loss of their son and still choosing in that moment to reveal the face of Christ to all of us that participated. And it wasn't an either or scenario. It wasn't grasping at some story and then just allowing that to actually remove us from the moment. The way that they led us brought us so fully into that place that we perceived the face of God in that. And some of you were there and you know what I'm talking about. You see, faithfulness leads us into unknown scenarios. Faithfulness to God leads us when all of our storylines that we've been telling ourselves fall flat. And that's kind of what I want us to focus on today that faithfulness gives our bold exploration a foundation and a trajectory. Faithfulness gives our bold exploration both a foundation and a trajectory. In our community, we believe that faith is a journey of discovery, but it's a journey mostly of discovering God and kind of everything radiating out from that point. And what we see time and again in scripture and in the character of God is that he presents himself to us both as the guide and as the destination. That God reveals himself both as the foundation of where we're at today, and also the trajectory that we, we are being led back towards God. We looked at this even in the Gospel of John, in John's language, that we came from God and we're returning to God. God is our source, he is our guide, and he is our destination. And so what I want to examine today is, is, first of all, talking about how we come to realize that God is at the center of this whole thing, and then I want to talk about what it looks like when God becomes the grounding of our reality, and then I want to talk about what it is for God to be our trajectory, the place that we're to head, essentially talking about what does it look like for us to reciprocate the faithfulness of God with our own faithfulness. And so the first part is this, the Christian journey is the steady revelation that God has been at the center this whole time. The Christian journey is the steady revelation. It's you and I slowly waking up to the reality like Isaac and saying, oh my goodness, God was in this place and I wasn't aware of it. I wanna look at one of my favorite passages. I've said before, this is my favorite verse in the entire Old Testament. And this is the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they're heading towards the promised land, but they're, they're in this period of refinement, these 40 years in the desert, where God is kind of reconditioning them, where God is rehabilitating them so that when they step into the promised land, they're really able to receive the promises that God's given them. 
that they don't receive it out of fear, they don't receive it out of a sense of entitlement, but that they have been formed into the kind of people that God can use to further his kingdom. And so they bump into Mount Sinai and God gives them the 10 commandments, kind of the locus of God's desire for humanity. And you can kind of break up the 10 commandments as commandments that are about the worship of God and commandments that are about how we treat one another. There are two kinds of sin in the world, folks. Idolatry and injustice. Every kind of sin is one of those two categories. Isn't that convenient? Idolatry, when we worship something that's not God, and injustice in the way that we treat one another. And so God gives these 10 commandments to the Israelites to begin the process of forming them into his kind of people. And we're going to jump in in verse 18 after God has given these 10 commandments. It says this in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. This is my favorite verse in the entire Old Testament. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And I told you, you have to get real quiet at the end of that verse. Where God was. And you gotta let it linger. Is this not the perfect analogy for how we approach our faith? That so many of us are so arrested by fear that it prevents us from engaging. We're so, we're so terrified by the mystery. We're so terrified by the unknown that we say, no, 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 I need somebody else to go in there for me. I can't possibly handle whatever that is up on the mountain. I don't want it. I need an intermediary. I need someone to stand between me and the thick darkness and just kind of make it more palatable. Give me the simple version. Give me the one-liner that I can just kind of use to make myself feel better, but it actually prevents me from engaging with my life. And oftentimes, we outsource our faith journey to other people. We outsource our faith journey. We look for people within our own community. We listen to podcasts. We go on YouTube. We find somebody else that is willing to have the boldness to go into the thick darkness, and we just glean off of what they're giving us because we ourselves don't want to do it. We don't have the time. We're too afraid. We don't know what to expect when we go in there. And we've been trained time and again for faith to say, okay, God, I'm willing to follow you, but first give me the five-step program. Describe to me what it's going to look like, and then I'll take the leap of faith. And we outsource our journey, our bold exploration, and let other people go on ahead of us because someone else should do the work for my spiritual growth. And we blame other people for why we're not growing. We blame other people for why we're not being discipled. We blame other people why our lives aren't looking the way they should. Because we're not willing to enter into the thick darkness. When you and I step out as explorers because of fear, we tend to just grasp at the quick answers. We memorize Jeremiah 29:11. We memorize Philippians 4:13. We take them out of context. We repeat themselves, them to ourselves when we feel afraid, and it actually prevents us from engaging with the living God. It prevents us from engaging with the loving community that he's gifted us with. But this is not how you and I are meant to live. Because searching for those easy narratives often prevents us from entering into the thick darkness 
where God is. And ultimately, that keeps us in this mentality that God is over there. God is somewhere over there. God's up on top of the mountain. God's in this other place. We even use this a lot of times in our language. I've spoken of this before where we say, well, God really showed up. And that's our pagan heritage coming back into the, the Jewish and Christian narrative. Because God was up on, you know, Zeus is up on top of a mountain somewhere else. Thor's going to show up and do something to us, for us. And we have to do the rain dance in order to get the gods to pay attention to us because maybe at that point they'll show up to us. But essentially what we see in all of the pagan traditions is this idea that the gods are somewhere else. And life is just kind of pittering on as it is and we're just kind of doing our thing and every once in a while a god is going to show up in, in the Greek, uh, Greek plays, they actually called it deus ex machina. Whenever they were writing a play and they'd get stuck and they'd be like, uh, we don't know where to go from here. They'd literally have this crane come in and drop in a person that was dressed as a god and they just kind of mess up the whole storyline so it can continue to move. And a lot of us treat Yahweh the same way. We need the deus ex machina. We need God to just show up and mess everything up so that we can keep moving along with the story. But so many of us have been trained with this fundamental understanding that history is just kind of progressing. Life is just kind of ambling along. It's a series of chain events. It's a line of dominoes. And maybe every once in a while, God will stop whatever he's doing and turn around and throw us a bone. And this is a profoundly pagan idea. This is a profoundly pagan idea. And it's infiltrated the church for 2,000 years because this is the heritage. This is where you and I came from. Several years ago, I, I was even looking into the, you know, the, the Celtic pre-Christian tradition and, and the ideas of where they saw the gods and how many of those things have, have reintegrated themselves into the Christian church, and we think that Yahweh is that same way. In the last century, there was a, a German theologian named Paul Tillich, who was one of my absolute favorites. He's a fascinating guy. He was part of the, uh, the Nazi resistance in Germany. And when he was asked, how do you, wh who is God? How do you define God? He said, God is the ground of our being, which sounds very clinical, very sterile. But I think it's actually a very beautiful description of God, that God is the ground of our being, that I'm not the center of my own world, and then maybe God will show up every once in a while. But God is actually the grounding. God is the foundation upon which everything else is built. And I love this reorientation for us because it, it shifts our understanding of God and then it enables us to take our identity, our understanding of history, and place it upon the shoulders of God. And now we're stepping into a whole different paradigm. Now we're learning how to trust God. Now we're allowing God to define things instead of us having to come up with the definitions on our own. And I think that Moses knew this. You remember that Moses had this, this radical encounter with God in the burning bush where he's like, who are you? And, he, and, and the first God says, well, I'm you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses says, okay, but seriously though, who are you? Don't give me the outside references. I know those names. I know those stories. And God says, I am Yahweh. I am being that I am being. I am pure essence. And it dramatically shifted Moses' understanding of what God's like. And I think that's what gave him permission to enter into the thick darkness on behalf of his people. You know, a lot of times when we're trying to define faith, we really struggle with it. We conflate it with belief sometimes. But this is my very simple definition of what faith is. Faith is choosing to participate even when all the facts aren't in. Whenever I see the word faith in the Bible now, I think participation. 
It's not about an intellectual understanding. It's not about being able to take a test and getting all the answers right. It's about choosing to participate. One of those modern worship songs that says, when I don't understand, I will choose you. I'm gonna keep playing the game. I'm gonna keep choosing to be involved, to move the thing forward, especially when I don't understand. And we have to reevaluate so many of our assumptions in order to be able to take that leap of faith toward God. And this is what I see in the greats. This is what I see in the saints. This is what I see in those who have gone before us in scripture. That there's a devotion in their lives to the process. They're devoted to the process. It's not about mastery. We call Abraham the father of our faith. But several times we see where Abraham lost the plot. He missed it. He made the wrong assumption about what God's like. He made the wrong assumption about the promises that God had made to him. And he, and he missed it. But he was always able to come back into it. He continued to choose to participate. He continued to choose into this relationship with God to see the promises of God come true in his life, even though it steadily looked less and less likely that it was going to happen. The saints have this devotion to the process of faith, being present to God, following his lead, even when all the facts are not in. So I want to kind of hone in on this idea of God being our foundation because I think it's when we have God as our foundation, when the reality of God is the ground of our being, then everything else flows out from that. An understanding of who we are, an understanding of who other people are, an understanding of how the world works. And I want to say this, recognizing God as our foundation changes how we perceive the rest of our lives. And so essentially what we're talking about here with God being our foundation is that we first of all have to recognize God's faithfulness to us. And this is so much of what scripture's about, the stories are about, is God choosing to be faithful to his people even when they weren't faithful to him. And God choosing to give them another go. God choosing to, to change the narrative in order to accommodate the people because his goal was always in restoration and drawing them back into relationship with him. So we're gonna be looking at Psalm 23 today. This is one of you know, the best and most well-known psalms in scripture. Many of you probably have it memorized. And this is another, I think David is another beautiful example to us of what, looks like, what it looks like when God becomes the foundation of our lives and not someone who shows up every once in a while. Like David lived this life of worship where he was practicing the presence of God at every moment in his life. And whenever David strayed, he always recognized in the character of God the opportunity to repent and get back on course. And so many of the Psalms are written out of one of those two places. They're Psalms of worship, practicing the presence, or they're Psalms of repentance, getting back on course, coming back home to God. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna read Psalm 23 as a meditation. Every Friday morning, some of us gather at the Credo at North Quarter, um, just down the road here, at about 9.30, and we use one of the psalms to center us on the reality of God. And we just kind of sit in quiet meditation of the psalm and allow the Lord to speak to us there. And whenever God speaks to each one of us, we begin to use those, uh, those revelations as intercession. And so I want you to know there's a small group of people every Friday morning that are praying for you. That whatever God's revealing to us in that moment, we're projecting that out into our community. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna read Psalm 23 uh, in a meditative way. And what, this, what we're gonna do is very simple. I'm gonna read through the psalm slowly twice, 
and then I'm gonna leave like a minute or two afterwards, and I want you to write down some of your reflections. And I'm not interested in what you think about Psalm 23, okay? I'm not interested in what you think about it. Don't do the analysis. I want you to open yourself up and allow God to speak to you in it. And there's a very important difference there, but it's the difference of faithfulness. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it through, and you can close your eyes. If you wanna listen, you can read it on the screens, whichever is more comfortable for you. But then we're gonna leave some space for you just to reflect and just to say, God, what are you saying to me? What do you wanna show me here? Maybe he gives you a vision, maybe he speaks a word to you, but we wanna to continue to be a community that believes that God speaks to us even today. So I'm gonna pray. If you wanna pray with me, close your eyes, be in a, a position of receptiveness, and we'll jump into Psalm 23. Father, we invite your spirit in this moment, quiet our hearts and minds. Lord, teach us to breathe in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Teach us to be still, Lord. Father, speak to each one of us in, in ways that we know how to hear you and maybe in some ways that surprise us. But give us each the confidence to know that we can hear your voice, that we can see you move. Speak for your servants are listening. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm gonna read it one more time and give you space to process with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Take a moment to journal.
friend of mine had this amazing vision that she shared with me, that she had kind of come through a lake and she's laying on the side, on the, on the lakeside, drying off and she looked and there's Jesus laying next to her and he was, he was wet as well. He was drenched in water. And what the, what the vision spoke to her was that even though she was being dragged through this water, Jesus was right there alongside of her in it. That he too was laying on the shore, drying off from this previous experience. And I think that's so beautiful because it, it speaks to this idea of, of God realizing steadily that God is our foundation, that God is the grounding of our being. And I, I see that in the words of David in this psalm that he's talking about, you make a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You lead me beside still waters. And this is, this is David running from Saul for 20 odd years, being hunted like an animal. And there was this refining process to David when he begins to, to less look at the circumstances around him to define him and to determine whether or not God is faithful but to choose to recognize in the midst of everything going on in his life, God still is his center. God is his foundation. And whatever else is going around him gets to be dictated by that first and foremost. And there's two phrases that, that stick out to me so powerfully in this. And the first is in line one, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Nothing. At the expense of sounding somewhat heretical, there is a uh, Buddhist legend of a, uh, I'm not saying I you know, condone or condemn Buddhism, but um, that a Buddhist teacher stepped into the, the teaching space in this monastery and he said, what in this moment is lacking? And then he left. What in this moment is lacking? I think David came to this recognition of that in his life, being chased by Saul, being hungry, being thirsty, not knowing how it's going to turn out, where he's able to say, what in this moment is lacking? What's missing? Because David recognized that he had the presence of God, and so he had everything that he needed. So often in life, we're motivated by lack. When we ask that question, what's missing in this moment, what's lacking, we have a whole laundry list ready. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough of a plan, I don't have enough security, I don't have the love that I desire. We will very quickly fill up an entire piece of paper with all of the things that we think that we are lacking. And that leads us to live out of perpetual anxiety. And our exploration becomes less one of boldness, of discovery, and more out of desperation. I want to introduce you to one of our spiritual great-great-great-grandmothers, St. Teresa of Avila. She was a Spanish uh, nun. She also called herself St. Teresa of Jesus, which I think is so beautiful that even she defined herself by Jesus. And in the 16th century, uh, she became a nun and she founded the Discalced Carmelites. Now, why you would want to discalce your Carmel, I don't know, but these Spanish nuns were all about it. And there's these legends about St. Teresa that whenever they participated in the Mass, she would actually levitate during the Mass because she was so much in communion with God. And I think that speaks something to us of a whole other paradigm of what it looks like for faithfulness 
to have God as the grounding of our being. And I want to offer to you this incredibly beautiful uh, prayer that she has handed to us over the centuries that I think uh, is one that I have prayed so often when I feel anxiety, when I feel disoriented, when I feel like I'm lacking plenty of things. And she says this, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. I think there's a destitute way that we understand this call to recognize that we lack understand or that we lack nothing. And then there's an expansive way to understand it. We can choose the idea of, of lacking nothing out of that same idea of pagan God that's somewhere else. That God is enough, but he's over there, and so I've got to chase him, and I'm never content with the moment. Or we can recognize that the presence of God to me in this moment as the grounding of my being means that God is big enough. And this is wisdom on the other side of wisdom, I think. I think we're, many of us growing up were told, you lack nothing, God is enough, and this sort of thing. And then we began to question that when it didn't really seem to fit our categories. And I don't think it's the idea that God is not enough. I think that it's our understanding of God was too small. Okay? When we're told that we lack nothing when we have God, it's not the problem of us lacking or not. It's the problem that our God is too small. The mystic Meister Eckhart repeatedly prayed, God, rid me of God. John Calvin said, we are idol factories, even making idols out of God himself. And God continually needs to shed and, and shatter these old, small ideas we have of God so that we can understand him in these deeper and more profound ways. But it's this wisdom on the other side of wisdom as we begin to ask the questions, is God enough? Do I lack nothing? that as we take that journey with him, we realize it's always been true, but in an entirely new way. And so recognizing God as our foundation changes how we perceive the rest of our lives. Is this not what we see in Jesus? The first name that he's given, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us before Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father so that he can be everywhere. He says, I am with you even until the end of the age. Before he leaves, he promises us the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the advocate who will never leave us nor forsake us. See, God chooses to define himself by his faithfulness to you. God chooses to define himself by his faithfulness to you. Will you choose to define yourself by faithfulness to him? God chooses to define himself by his presence to us. We, in turn, choose to define ourselves by the presence to God. I think the other phrase in the psalm that sticks out to me is about dwelling in the house of the Lord. There's this prayer that I pray every morning that's about that, and we recognize very quickly the house of the Lord is not a geographical location but it's us choosing to abide in the presence of God today because then everything becomes his house. Everything becomes the temple. 
And so we have to practice the presence of God, learning how to abide in him daily, and that helps us to cross over. I almost imagine, like, we have to move our tent pegs of what, how we consider confidence, the things that we consider our confidence in and who we're supposed to be and how the world works. We have to pick up those tent pegs, and we have to place them in this idea that God is with us. At the beginning of the year, we all asked the Lord for a specific word that would help guide our year, and mine was adore. I'm really good at talking about God. I'm really good at analyzing God. I'm really good at analyzing scripture. I'm really good at serving God. I'm really good at humility. (laughs) One of the things that I realized at the beginning of the year is I'm not very good at adoring God. I can do the brain thing, but it's hard for me to do the heart thing. And so God has had me on this journey, this exploration of what does it mean to adore him? Not in my hands, not in my head, but in my heart. I have some disdain for worship. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to phrase it. I'm not one of these people that just steps into worship all the time and just loves it and listens to worship albums in my car. That's not me. But that means now it's a discipline. And I have to choose to participate in worship, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I think is worthy of my time. And the practice of adoring God has augmented all of these other ways of me understanding him and in, 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 in increasingly allowing him to be the center of my life. I'm learning how to worship him better. I've developed these prayer rhythms in my life every morning that are recentering me in the very beginning of the day. And it's these disciplines to stay the course, to stay committed. Because I know that I can't outsource my spiritual growth to anybody else. I can't petition anyone else to go into the thick darkness on my behalf. It's up to me. And so looking at God as a foundation, let's shift over to the other side about direction and trajectory. Faithfulness to God as the trajectory of our stories dramatically redefines what a life well-lived looked like. When you and I begin to establish God as the foundation of our lives, it changes our understanding of pleasure. It changes our understanding of joy. It changes our understanding of success. All of these terms that we use to measure a life well-lived get, get re, reworked when we allow God to be the center of who we are. I think there's no better place to go to look at what a life well-lived and faithfulness looks like than Hebrews chapter 11. And essentially what the writer here does is gives us example after example of people who chose to live their lives by faith. And they kind of go through the whole biblical story talking about all these people and their willingness to be faithful, especially in the moments that it didn't make sense or it didn't didn't seem like it would pan out. And the writer kind of finishes up like this in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. And we go, yes, that's what a faithful life looks like. That's what success in God looks like. And then we keep reading, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Yes, okay, we're all into that. We love that. There were others who were tortured. Hold on a second. And we have to keep reading. Refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. 
Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And this is the phrase, church, listen, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. When you and I are looking at how do we measure a well-lived life, we tend to judge it by our aesthetics, what feels good to us. Maybe we determine it by ethics, what's the right thing to do, but rarely will we judge it by faithfulness, choosing to recognize God as the ground of our being and allow him to determine what is joy, allow him to determine what is success, allow him to determine what is a substantial life really look like. Consider how the results of faith that the writer is giving us here produce some things that we would categorize as victory and other things that we would categorize as gross defeat. But I think what the writer's inviting us to recognize is that faithfulness to God puts us on an entirely different plane of looking at what a well-lived life looks like. And the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them because of the lies that they decided to live, because they gave everything over for God, because they lifted up the tent pegs and planted them in the realm of faithfulness and not on what the world determines is success. We should be awed by those who have come before us. We should read the scriptures. We should read about the martyrs. We should read about those who have come before us for thousands of years and be awed. This is what a life of faithfulness looks like. I want to tell you a story. In February 2015, 20 Egyptian Christians were captured by ISIS in Libya and one young man from Ghana. And maybe some of you remember this. This wasn't that long ago. And they were taken out on this beach by ISIS and there was a long speech and they were beheaded. And every one of these men chose in that moment the last word on their lips was prayers to Jesus. And the Coptic church made 20 of them martyrs and they recognized what happened to the 21st. There's this young man from Ghana, his name's Matthew. And when it came to him and they were, he he was not a Christian. This man was not a Christian, he worked with them. And when he looked around and saw what these 20 men were doing with their last moments on the earth, he said, their God is my God. And he was beheaded. You see, these aren't legends from long ago. These are things that are happening in our world today. And this is, this is the video that they released, but I wanna show you another image. The Egyptian church commissioned this icon of the 21 martyrs receiving their crowns from Jesus for their faithfulness to him in the face of pure evil. And the beauty of icons is they do not show us the earthly realities of what we see before us. That's what that video was for. That's what ISIS is trying to scare the rest of us with. This is what it looks like on this earth if you choose to be faithful to Jesus. But this is a heavenly picture. This is what it looks like in heaven when those men were willing to turn their faces to Jesus and to say, yes, you are my God. I will never forsake you nor leave you because you have never done that for me. They were construction workers from a small town in Egypt. And their testimony speaks volumes to us about what it looks like to live a faithful life. The writer in Hebrews goes on in chapter 12. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The sin that so easily entangles us is when we forget God as our source. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Many of you have grown weary and have lost heart. I've done the same. I'm right there with you. That we, we become overwhelmed with the world that we see around us and we begin to wonder if it's worth it. That maybe there's other definitions of who we can be that are a little bit more convenient, that are a little bit more self-serving. And that's what leads us to sin. That's what, what leads us to forget about worship for God and we begin to hurt one another and we hurt ourselves. Another one of our spiritual grandmothers, another Teresa, Mother Teresa, gave her entire life to the sick and the dying in India, said this, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. And the legacy that she has left for the kingdom is immeasurable. That's what success looks like. And so how do we practice this kind of faith that recognizes God as the foundation of our lives and also the trajectory? I think it begins with us needing a rekindled vision of the kingdom of God to wake us up out of our assumptions of what faith is going to look like. We need a, we need a fresh vision from God of what he is like, his character, his kingdom, that will recenter us and that will lead us into the thick darkness that we can boldly explore out of that place of faithfulness as a response to the faithfulness of God. So I wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna pray over one another for an increase of faith. And this is the question that I want us to consider. Do you trust God enough to lead you to himself? Do you have it in you to continue to participate, especially when all the facts aren't in? Do you trust him to reveal himself to you time and again, to be the fuel, to wake you up, to bring you back into the center, and to define to you what real joy is, what real success is, what real meaning is? So I want you to turn to those that are next to you in groups of two or three. I just want you to pray for one another, however the Lord leads, but allow it to focus on our faith and faithfulness recentering us back to God. And then we're going to continue to worship him, whether we feel like it or not, as a discipline that centers him once more. So I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna invite you to pray over one another. Father, we thank you for the cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, those who have chosen you 
in the face of the most abject circumstances. Lord, we thank you that choosing to be faithful to you transcends all of our categories of what's in and what's out and what's good and what's bad, what's success and what's failure. Teach us how to be content in our decision to follow you, to allow you to be the grounding of our being, to allow you to be our destination, our trajectory. Teach us how to live that kind of faith, that the world can define it however they choose to. But we know that we're exactly where we need to be and that we lack nothing. We pray all of these things in the strong and the faithful name of our Lord Jesus Christ who has rescued us back to you, who has given us new life and new hope. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.